Hello, and welcome to Weekend Watchlist, a look at what's screening and streaming brought to you by The Letterboxd Show. I'm Mitchell Beaupre. He's slim, no last name. Hello. And together, we'll dig through what's dropping this weekend, last weekend, recent trends on Letterboxd, and we'll also take a peek at our own watchlist, all under 30 minutes, where you will all have to see Minions. <laughs> Mitchell, everyone is talking Minions. Minions. Are you, are you excited for the Minion episode this week? We will find out in three to four minutes <laughs> if I am excited for <laughs> the Minions episode. Before we get along with this episode, folks may have noticed that Jem and I did not have a four faves episode this week in this podcast feed. It's because we're too busy prepping for our mid-year episode with Jack himself, Jack Moulton, who usually provides our facts every week. He will be our guest and we'll be digging into his four faves next week before our summer break. So that's going to be a giant episode. Are the rumors true that you booked the minions for four phase for this week, but they, they backed out at the last second. <laughs> the minions bailed on us this the week. Sneaky little minions. <laughs> so later we'll also chat about the forgiven Clarisola, some community reviews, and finally get your thoughts on crimes of the future. I saw them. I know what the crimes are. They're not, they're not here yet, but I, I know what they are. And we will, David Cronenberg, one of my favorite directors of all time. Excited to talk about that. But first, let's, I mean, let's just get into it. Let's chat it. about what I believe off mic you said is your favorite film franchise ever. I, you said <laughs> Star Wars, no. Indiana Jones, no. Like none of them compared to you to the Minions, the new film, Minions, The Rise of Gru, directed by Kyle Balda in theaters this weekend on 15,000 watch lists, 15,000 people going mm. to see this. This weekend, the synopsis for this new one, a fanboy of a supervillain supergroup known as the Vicious Six, Gru hatches a plan to become evil enough to join them with the backup of his followers, the Minions. Slim, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's hear your hype for Minions. Star Wars walked so Minions could run, I think, is what people are saying <laughs> That's what online. They say. That's what they say. I, I, you know, I have a son. True. But I, he's not super into the Minions, so I'm a little out of, out of pocket for these Minions. But I will say this. I went to, I was lucky enough to go to Universal uh, a couple summer, summers ago on family vacation, and there was a giant Minions ride. Like, the Minions are, I mean, they make a lot of money, these movies, so... Families love Minions. They love Minions. The thing that I found most interesting about Minions The Rise of Gru is seeing the voice cast of this movie is out of control. Steve Carell is back. P Pierre Coffin is back, who I believe voices the Minions themselves. On top of them, the new voice cast for this film, Taraji P. Henson, Michelle Yeoh, Riza, John claude Van Damme Slim, Lucy Lawless, Dolph Lundgren, Danny Trejo, Julie Andrews, Alan Arkin, all of the kids' faves. They're all coming in for Riza, for Jean claude Van Damme, for Dolph Lundgren, Julie Andrews. The kids are lining up, Slim. This is so silly. I saw, I watched a trailer before we recorded, and there was an Eminem song playing in the trailer. The Lose Yourself was playing in the Minions trailer. <sighs> So Matt Neglia has seen Minions, The Rise of Gru, left a review on Letterboxd. Uh, sure has some cute, funny moments. The amusing vocal work from Steve Carell and Pierre Coffin continues to be the franchise's highlight. But would it kill these films to put more effort into a compelling story? Mercifully, the runtime is kept short. Kids will still love it regardless. There you have it. There you go. Kids, 
Get ready. Kids, you'll have your moment in the sun, okay? <laughs> kids, I know you're listening right now. <laughs> but let's move on. Let's move on to The Forgiven, directed by John Michael McDonough. This is in theaters. This is on three and a half thousand watch lists. Over a weekend in the high Atlas Mountains of Morocco, a random accident reverberates through the lives of both the local Muslims and Western visitors to a house party in a grand villa. First of all, Jessica Chastain is in this. So Jessica that's Chastain. There, add that to your watch list right now. Have you heard any buzz about this movie? So it, it premiered at TIFF last year. It was, I was attending TIFF digitally. It was one of the films that you could only see if you were in person. So I didn't get the chance to watch it. I was curious about it because as we will talk about in a second, I'm a very big fan of the film Calvary mm. from John Michael McDonough. Um, so I was curious about it. And it had, I mean, again, like like Minions, Rise of Gru, it has a stacked cast. Ray Fine, Jessica Chastain, as you mentioned, Matt Smith, Caleb Landry Jones, Christopher Abbott, my boy, mm. is in this. It's got a very good cast, but it ended up kind of being one of those films that I think we get like every year at TIFF where it goes in with a big kind of starry cast, like a little bit of like people haven't really heard too much about this movie. Maybe it'll get some buzz. And then it has a very muted reception and then it just kind of like disappears and comes right. out like unceremoniously a year later. I, you know, as we're mentioning right now, like I feel like not a lot of people have heard of this movie despite having this great cast, you know, a pretty quality director behind it. So I think, I think the buzz is not super high, but you know, maybe it'll be a fun time for completionists of these actors. Give it a go. Maybe mm -hmm. what, are, what are your vibes on? I, I thought it was it? like an action thriller judging by the poster, but it's not the case. No. So Chris Evangelista had written a review, Jessica Chastain snorting coke and wearing sexy shoes. That's cinema, baby. So, Damn. I mean, that right there has gotten me intrigued in the movie. Otherwise, I wouldn't might have not been interested in cinema. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good sell. Stephen Miller also dropped a review saying, uh, a preordained ending, a heavy moral rot, and a star of In Bruges at the center, reckoning with the meaningless of it all. This is Calvary set to the tune of The White Lotus and nowhere near as successful as its precedents, surface level and bleak to the point of nastiness, but the cast absolutely sells it. Last review before we talk about Calvary, Modern Lights, rich people are the worst. Confirmed. Fact, so fact. you had talked about Calvary and I had this on my watch list. So really quick, we can talk about this. This is the Brendan Gleeson movie. After being threatened during a confession, a good natured priest must battle the dark forces closing in around him. I really like this movie. It's gorgeous. The cinematography, the setting of this movie, Brendan Gleeson. I mean, it's like a Brendan Gleeson flex fest in terms yeah, of him being a priest that's grappling with someone who says that they're going to kill him. Yeah, may, maybe his best performance. I, you know, I could, mm. I could see an argument that it's, it's his best performance, and I totally agree. I went into Calvary when it came out, like not, not super hyped, um, like not, not super excited for it, and it really won me over, like almost immediately. It's got such like shades of dark humor, which I think the McDonoughs are pretty, you know, um, John Michael and his brother Martin McDonough, who did in Bruges and mm -hmm. Three Billboards Outside Emmett, Missouri, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they have, you know, this knack for really acerbic humor, which is in throughout Calvary, which is pretty bleak as a movie. And I think that it's it's explorations of faith and kind of being betrayed by your faith and questioning those who still have faith when you see 
the atrocities that happen in the world and just questioning mortality, questioning what you would do if you knew that kind of the end was near for you. If you have, you know, regrets in your life that you want to make right. A lot of the film is about his relationship with his daughter played by Kelly Riley. And I think that that is a really strong element of the film. How is it for you? You were, I mean, you were really into, you said the cinematography, especially really blew your mind. It almost felt like in another world, I would put this in my review. It felt like in another world, this would be like a Hulu six part miniseries. I think if it came out today, yeah, probably on like a BBC or something. Yeah, Yeah. like it would be his just trying to almost like see who the person who threatened him is. Yeah, 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 like more of a mystery. Because that happens in the movie. You meet the characters of the town and you're like, oh, is this the guy who did it? And I can see that being drawn out over like six hours for sure. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm glad that it was uh, a movie and not a miniseries. So I really liked it. And you mentioned, or one of the reviews mentioned White Lotus. My God, that show only came out a year ago. That feels like five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a uh, unprecedented times. We, <laughs> we, we need like a swear jar times. when anyone says unprecedented <laughs> times. You need to put like a quarter in there or something. I believe Spiderhead came out two weeks ago. I can't. That, that movie feels like feels like a, an eternity ago. Spiderhead. All the Spider oh fans out there. God, no. Slim. Let's move from Morocco to Costa Rica. Let's check in on Clara Sola, the new film from Natalie Alvarez Messine, coming out in theaters this week in 2.2 thousand watch list. The synopsis, a fascinating story about mysticism and sexual awakening. In a remote village in Costa Rica, Clara, a withdrawn 40-year-old woman, experiences a sexual and mystical awakening as she begins a journey to free herself from the repressive religious and social conventions which have dominated her life. This film dropping from Oscilloscope, this weekend, you and I were lucky enough to get some screeners to give it a watch. How did you feel when you checked out the film? I liked it. I, it's a very slow burn. The photography is off the charts. Um, there's a lot of like, it's almost like simmering cinema where you're mm. just kind of like stewing in the slow moving uh, conversations on screen and the the no dialogue on screen. But I loved getting into this character's head and kind of like, I mean, she's she's got a pretty crummy life going about it. Uh, where she is in life. And then there's almost that kind of realization that something else is happening. What did you think? Yeah, simmering cinema is a really, I, I feel like we should coin that. That's that's a good way to that's describe ours. it. Because I was watching it. <laughs> I was watching it and thinking like, you know, as I mentioned, I am a, a slut for slow cinema. Um, <laughs> and and so I was watching it like, is this, like this isn't quite slow cinema, but it's it's nearly there. I feel like simmering is the perfect word for it. It definitely... I think it's an acquired taste, but it's on my wavelength for sure. It's, it's as you mentioned, like a methodical, very like contemplative. And it's really, yeah, about repression and the way that, um, you know, we can, even at 40 years old, you can kind of bring yourself out and connect yourself with more of the world and discover who you are. And I think that the thing that I found most interesting about it was the way that it draws these connections. It's like a very physical movie, a very like tactile movie. And the way that it draws these connections with the animals around the main character, but then also the world mm-hmm. around her. You mentioned, um, I think in your notes or in your review, that it has these like gorgeous close-ups of hands. There's just like a very, you know, phys- physical nature to the film that I really connected with, I think. Yeah. Clara wrote a review, subtly significant moments are expressed again and again through close-ups of hands, drawing the eye to their movements, to the way they dig in or flex out. 
to the wrinkles and cracks. Such detailing is just one of many highlights in a film doused in beauty. And Darren Carver-Balsiger also drops a review saying the film emphasizes nature and kindness towards animals, which fits with the loving and caring approach of the filmmaking. The film is just so moving, yet also complicated and difficult. So give give this one a watch. Mm. Uh, you know, only 2.2 thousand watches. Let's get this. This is my goal. Let's get this on more <laughs> watch lists than Minions by, by Friday. <laughs> Do you have a slow cinema list? I don't, I don't have a list. I do not have a mm. list. Um, I'm sure there are ones out there, though. Maybe we need the the listeners need the Mitchell slow cinema list. I'll work That's on what it. the desire is. I'll work on By the it next today. time you're on this show, we will have we'll we'll talk about it. I think for the next event, we'll have that linked in the episode notes. For I guess people. I've got some work cut out ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look back last week. Last week, I need to apologize to a segment of our audience. Mia culpa. That's usually my job for the bad pronunciations. <laughs> You're stealing my bit. I need to apologize to all those Beavis and Butthead fans out there. I know there's many. I have many friends that are Beavis and Buttheads. Brag. And <laughs> there was a new movie that came out last week, which we didn't talk about. It's on three and a half thousand watch list, 3.5 average. Alex Kaplan's review. This is the type of content needed most in 2022. Paramount Plus. Slim, are you a Beavis or a Butthead? <laughs> I'm not even sure if I'm prepared to reveal that. I don't even know if I've seen <laughs> one full episode of Beavis and Butthead. I don't know what That's I was original. watching. I was probably watching Ninja Turtles when my friends were watching Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, Ninja Turtles, good, good, good programming. From Very the good Turtles. quality programming for sure. What about you? I yeah, I've never, I've never seen seen a Beavis or a Butthead. I I remember, I think my mom was really into them. Um, but yeah, I I never gravitated towards it myself. I was like a Daria person. I was a mm. South Park person. Um, but for whatever reason, I think just the 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 animation style, maybe maybe Beavis and Butthead, the names. I just was like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I never, I never. Beavis it out. is just an unsettling word. Beavis, Beavis. <laughs> Apologies to all of the Beavises out there. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll your, do another apology next complaints. week send to everyone with the name of Beavis. Mi, I'm Mia sorry. Culpa. Mia culpa. Mia culpa to the Beavises <laughs> next week. As we mentioned at the top, I saw Crimes of the Future. It is available now, finally, on the iTunes, the Amazons. You can rent it for $20, buy it for $25. I have done this. Mm. Worth the money. I will give my money to cinema. Um, and as, as I mentioned, Cronenberg, one of my favorite directors of all time. This was my most hyped movie of the year. Ooh. It did not disappoint me Ooh. whatsoever. It feels, you know, you, you and our own Mia Culpa, Mia Vicino discussed the <laughs> film a while back. And um, yeah, I mean, I know Mia was, was a really big fan of it. Mentioned it again last week when you guys were talking mm -hmm. about uh, Flux Gourmet. And again, like Mia said, I think that they pair really well together. I was a big fan of Flux Gourmet as well. I think they pair really well together as films that are analyzing the way that we react um, or we interact with our bodies and how that changes over time and these like stigmas around bodies, which I think is very fascinating, especially when you are getting into ideas of gender identity. Mm -hmm. And as myself, myself as somebody with a chronic illness, I think there's a lot of stuff that um, 
connects it there as well. It's interesting that Cronenberg wrote the movie 20 years ago and so that he didn't change a single thing in the screenplay when they started making it. I think that keys into how it fits really well as almost like a trilogy with Videodrome and Existence, which are dealing with very similar things, but also um, as kind of a double bill with his crash, not the Paul Haggis crash, um, which we do not speak of the Paul Haggis crash, but (laughs) with Cronenberg's crash and that like the the sexuality that plays into this film and the transgressiveness of it is really interesting i you know what have you you haven't seen crimes of the future no yet, i haven't you? i have not but i just it. saw that this is now your number one ranked movie number of 2022 one. my number one of 2022 will anything beat it minions rise of guru <laughs> step up to the plate <laughs> Challenge is on. Up to the plate. No, I I also was waiting for this to hit VOD. And it could be my weekend. This could be my weekend to see Crimes of the Future. Your own weekend watch list. <laughs> I would before before we move on, I would also like to shout out that I saw have Slim, have you seen the 2002 Jennifer Lopez domestic abuse thriller enough? I feel like I have. Uh, vaguely memories of seeing this movie, but I'm anxious to hear what you have to say. I'm watching this film and it opens up. Jennifer Lopez is working at a diner. Her name tag with her name on it says, you you know, and brace yourself here. It says slim, <laughs> slim. It says slim on her name tag. So I'm like, whoa, Jennifer Lopez is named slim what? in this? I'm about to talk to slim. And <laughs> So get, get, buckle up here, buckle up, Slim and listeners, please prepare yourself, put the coffee down. A few moments later, five minutes into the film, we discover this man played by Billy Campbell that becomes her husband, her abusive, horrible monster of a husband. His name is Mitch. (laughs) Drop it. Drop the mic. Drop the mic right there. Can someone Photoshop an enough poster with our faces on those characters? I spend this whole movie hearing people saying, Slim, Mitch, Slim, we love you, we love you, Mitch, you horrible, you, you bastard, you monster. It just felt like, I don't know, something something Reverse in the air therapy. there. It, it, felt, it sounds like a real negative viewing experience, and it, it looks that way from your two and a half star uh, it was an all right movie. Enough. It was an all right movie. <laughs> it's an all right movie. <laughs> maybe, maybe it took some hits from me for yeah. what it did to me <laughs> for emotionally. The naming, of course. Sorry, I had to go through that. I, I really appreciate it, but I needed, I needed you to know that this. Thank you to for me. sharing. I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. <laughs> Elvis is also here to support us. That dropped last week. Baz Lerman. That's sitting at a 3.6 average. Uh, we'll spotlight some community reviews that were tagged with weekend watch list. Hannah, this is the best biopic I've ever seen. It's all I would want from an Elvis 100% biopic, 100% entertainment. That's 200%. That, that is, does not add up, by the way. <laughs> Showcases his love for gospel music, the colors, the sound, the music, and Austin Butler. There you have it. So a positive review from Thank Hannah. You. Kate Rose a little bit on the other side. Elvis divisive movie, maybe. Kate Rose saying, there is no movie on this green earth that should ever have a 159-minute runtime. Give me one more hour and make it a miniseries or take off an hour and get to the point. Baz was bazzing pretty hard here. And when it worked, it really worked. However, it didn't always work, no matter how perfect Austin was as Elvis. Mm, I'd be curious to know what Kate Rose's review for the Batman was, because I think that might have also been 159 minutes. I want to hear the Drive My Car review from Kate Rose. (laughs) (laughs) 
The Black Phone dropped also last week. We talked about it a little bit. Same rating as Elvis, 3.6. Zach Pope's review. During the screening tonight, someone ripped ass and sounded like they shit themselves right after the jump scare. 0.2 seconds later, a guy came running down the stairs of the theater and never came back. Oof, poor, well, you know, all of our love, thoughts and prayers to, to that person. That's what the grabber, that's what the grabber will do to you. Watch out for the grabber. <laughs> what a review. Thank you, Zach. That's, we got a few, we've got a few, a few reviews here from Marcel the Shell with shoes on, hashtag Marcelvis. Uh, 4.2 average on mm. the letterbox. Getting some big love for Marcel. Kev's review, an extremely powerful and emotional story about friendship, family, and all caps, love. A salve <laughs> for my soul. Wow, 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 wow. Scott's review, Marcel X Paddington crossover when? When's I'm actually, happening? spoilers, I might be going to see this movie tonight in tonight. Philadelphia. So stay tuned for my review on Marcel the Shell with shoes Marcel on. The Shell with shoes on. Dougal Wilson, Paddington and Peru director. Let's get Marcel in that movie. It's still, <laughs> you know, they're kicking up right now. It's not done yet. You can make it happen. <laughs> Slim, let's check in on the Letterbox Top 50 of 2022 list put together by our own Jack's Facts, Jack Mullen, to see what is at the top of the list for things released this year. Any big updates? This, this is it brings me no pleasure Uh-oh. to say that Top Gun Maverick has fallen out of the top five. Oof. And I don't even want to talk about the segment anymore after that. It's <laughs> too depressing to me to hear that Top Gun has moved out. So let's just move on. Let's to let's, our let's our own on. watch list. We have a lot of fun. We shuffle our watch list each week with the friends of our community. We'll read your reviews, tagged weekend watch list. So last time we were together, I did not shuffle. So we'll skip over me. I was on a delightful camping trip with my fam. So next time I chat with Mia, I'll be talking about Breathing Fire. To give you a little spoiler, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh Uh, But Mitchell, what did you (laughs) shuffle and get that you're going to talk about? I shuffled and got the film Vigilante. This is a movie. It's a movie that is not afraid to shotgun blast a toddler in the first 15 minutes, you heard me correct, God people. dang. Shotgun blast a toddler. <laughs> if that is the kind of film that you are interested in seeing, <laughs> Vigilante, it offers it. It's 1982, directed by William Lustig, New York City factory worker Eddie Marino is a solid citizen and regular guy until the day a sadistic street gang brutally assaults his wife and murders his child with a shotgun blast in the first 15 minutes. When a corrupt judge sets the thugs free, Eddie goes berserk and vows revenge. It is a, I mean, it's it's a pretty, uh, I mean, it's that's what you're that's what you're getting, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's from that description that is what you're getting. It is, it's an interesting movie to watch. It's like a little bit frustrating to see, like the the vigilanteism is like uh, it's not just Robert Forster. It's like a whole group of vigilantes. It oh, should be called. I think I saw one review. Um, on Letterbox that said that it should be called, I think it might've been Brian, our friend Brian Formos review that said that it should have been called Vigilantes, plural, <laughs> because it's a whole, I mean, it's a whole group of them. Um, and the group is led by Fred Williamson, who is an absolute badass in this movie. Robert Forster is a little bit more meeker. He's, you know, the, mm-hmm. the average citizen, the factory worker, the blue collar guy who gets, it, you know, wronged and into the world of vigilanteing. 
Um, yeah, it's it's more about them like going after the criminals when I wish that it maybe was a little bit more about them going after the system who I think mm. is the, the people ultimately responsible for this. But I guess that's not really what this movie is. It's more about the genre thrills, which it definitely has plenty of. So if you're into that kind of like exploitation-y B-movie of like the 80s, you know, late 70s, things like The Warriors or like Death mm-hmm. Wish, um, I would definitely check it out. It's on uh, Tubi is where It's I on all your your preferred free Shutter services. Shutter, it is on. <laughs> there is a 4K from Blue Underground that is recently out. That I just, just saw Justin the Liberty's review. Wasn't prepared to see that Tyler get blown <laughs> apart in 4K UHD. <laughs> it's, can, can, you ever, can you ever really fully prepare? Hopefully, hopefully there is not a review out there that said, I was prepared. To, I was very prepared. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only reason I watched this movie. This is the reason. And I heard it happen. It gave me it. Slim, do you want to you want to spotlight? You know, people shuffling their watch lists mm-hmm. along with us. We're very grateful. Tag those reviews. We can watch this on Letterboxd. You want to shine a spotlight on a few people who've been watching along with us. Yeah, The Thing's anniversary, 40th anniversary was last week. And Alexandria wrote a nice review. When Dad showed me John Carpenter's The Thing for the first time in 2020, I was blown away. The practical effects, tension building, and amazing ensemble cast couldn't get any better. I told him that I would give anything to go back in time to 1982 and experience it in theaters. So over the weekend, I saw it at the AMC in honor of the anniversary. I was sitting there clapping and giggling the whole time. After 40 years, this film still stands the test of time. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Thanks for always showing me the coolest movies and making me the horror fanatic that I am today. Great review. That's incredibly sweet. And what else Mm -hmm. is sweet? Last week, you and Mia gave some love, deserved loved, to Lilo and Stitch, that all-time gem of a Disney film. Mason reviewed Lilo and Stitch, hashtagged it, we can watch list, prepping for the Elvis movie. And I want to thank Lilo for showing me how great the guitar solo on Devil in Disguise is. What a movie. What a movie. What Lilo a and Stitch, let's movie. get it going. Let's get Lilo and Stitch <laughs> in the top 10 trending on Letterboxd this week. Simmering cinema, Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> Simmering cinema. That's what the, that's how it was advertised. I do remember. <laughs> Last review we'll spotlight this week. Uh, Emma watched this film at a sold out viewing at the only theater in my state to show it. Memoria is incredibly slow burn that isn't interested in explanations or details. Memoria never coming, never leaving theaters, never coming with the physical release. Memoria. I'm doing it. Comes out on Blu-ray this month in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's shuffle again before we leave this week. Let's head to our watch list and uh, let's see. Filter my stream only, and then I'm going to sort by shuffle. And that's the movie I have to watch before we meet next. Oh boy. Oh boy, it's a big one. It's a big one. Richard Linklater's Boyhood 2014. Whoa. 12 years in the making. Film tells the story of a divorced couple trying to raise their young son that follows the boy for 12 years and examines his relationship with his parents as he grows. Holy smokes. You've never check seen him. Boyhood, Slim. Never seen it. Finally going to check it off the old watch list. I, be careful. I've heard that the grabber himself is in that movie. So <laughs> I hope I don't crap my pants prepare, while I'm watching this. Prepare those. Make sure you make sure you bring an alternative pair of underwears for that <laughs> Just one. Just watch it on the toilet. Watch Boyhood on the toilet. <laughs> as... As, As Richard, Richard Linklater intended. intended. <laughs> he said, this is built. We made this movie for toilet watching. <laughs> My film. 
is WD Richter's 1984, cla- I believe, classic, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across oh. the Eighth Dimension. Wow. The tagline, beings from another dimension have invaded your world. The synopsis, pretty quick, pretty quick synopsis here. Adventurer slash surgeon slash rock musician, Buckaroo Banzai and his band of men, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, take on evil alien invaders from the Eighth Dimension. I mean, base- that that sounds basically like what the title Promises there. <laughs> Peter Weller, your guy, Mr. Robocop himself in this one. Have you seen The Adventures I of Buckaroo I have Banzai? seen this movie. This is one of those cult classics. Cult Buckaroo classic. Banzai. Jeff Goldblum, a very young Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum if I remember correctly. But yeah, this is streaming like in a few saw. places. Yeah, it's on Tubi. I've got the Shout Factory Blu-ray of it that I'm going to be watching. <laughs> the Blu-ray just chilling at home. <laughs> I've not seen it. I love it. It's been waiting. It's been waiting for this, for this moment. <laughs> For me to get into that eighth dimension. Thanks so much for listening to Weekend Watchlist brought to you by The Letterbox Show. You can follow Mitchell Slim, that's me, and our HQ page on Letterbox using the links in our episode notes. And if you have the time, maybe consider rating the podcast on Spotify or leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about the show. I did see there is one review that says that they love Gemma. Everybody else, not a fan of. So (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm banning that person. I'm banning that person from Letterboxd. Thank you to our crew. And thanks to Letterboxd member Trent Wallen for the theme music Eyes On. Thanks to Jack for the facts and Sophie Shin for the episode transcript. And to you for listening. Weekend Watchlist is a Tape Deck production. Podcast.